So Money episode 1068, Lisa Peterson, author of The Mindful Millionaire. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Growing up in the environment that I did, I carried a lot of shame, not having money, always struggling with it. Like we would be the family on on the street in the suburbs where we always had a broken down car in the front yard. And, you know, my parents were hippies and that was scary to other people. And I don't think I understood how deep that shame went about the way that we were labeled, even to the point where kids would say, I can't come to your house. My parents don't think it's safe. We've all heard the expression white trash. It's not a favorite term, and I feel even a little uncomfortable using it. But my guest today says that's how she identified herself growing up. Lisa Peterson grew up in a home where her parents were not educated. Her father dealt drugs, and she says, I was modeled horrible things when I was young, including having access way too early in life to adult discussions like the use of drugs, pornography, the selling of drugs, and also having incidents with the law. The trauma that she felt was continuous throughout much of her life. Today, she has broken free from that and is helping others reconcile their trauma to live more fulfilling lives and have a deeper, closer relationship with money. This is her second time stopping by the show. She was on So Money a couple of years ago. Lisa is the founder of WealthClinic.com. She has a podcast now called Art of Abundance and a new book called The Mindful Millionaire. Her new book explores these tough topics and the underbelly of our relationship with money and the idea that you don't have to forget where you came from in order to break free and create wealth for yourself. Here's Lisa Peterson. Lisa Peterson, welcome back to So Money. It has been two and a half years and quite the two and a half years <laughs> for all of Definitely. us. <laughs> Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here, Farnoosh, with you and your listeners. It's my pleasure. You uh, came on back in January of 2018, the first time I introduced you to my audience. You have a podcast called Art of Abundance. You run a coaching business, helping people kind of reconcile with their financial emotions, their relationship with money at wealthclinic.com and wealthflower, thewealthflower.com. And in all these years, all these years, these last two and a half years, um, time goes by quickly, you have been working on a book. And that is what I would love to start with today. Today, uh, the book is called "The Mindful Millionaire." You know, the world that we're in today much different than when you started writing this book than when it came out. It's coming out later this month, and so I'd love to just first start with a question around the relatability, the applicability of your advice in the world that we live in today—a world where we've got a pandemic that we're grappling with, we have racial tension, and hopefully, we're seeing some pivoting on the racial front in 2020. And so I'm just curious where you see your book addressing some of the needs today, financial needs. Great question. You know, I was thinking about the fact that if it, if there were a title that appe- 
appealed to the times that we're in, it would be how to stop worrying about money. Like that is probably the biggest theme that I think a lot of people are feeling maybe more now than they have in past years, because obviously we've had this incredible economy for the past 10 years. People were feeling pretty excited about money in many cases. But what I've been fascinated about in, in all of my journey and working in money in the money business for 25 years was why do some people worry about money all the time, no matter what's going on, but now it's even more pronounced. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you walked into this pandemic slash crazy year of 2020, already nervous, predisposed to you know having anxiety around money, I mean, I can't even imagine where your head's at now. That's a lot of your clients. Totally, totally. And and I wanted to inspire people to heal this relationship with money. And that's what I feel like I've been working on for a long time. But what I also noticed, and I think might help people think about this in a different context, is that I noticed in being a financial advisor and being a mortgage banker and working in so many different areas of finance that people, there were two types of people, one who was more what I'd say prosperity conscious, like money just went really easily for them. They found themselves through challenges quite easily. They recovered. They didn't get caught up in all kinds of stories. And those were often people who had done quite well with money. And then there was this whole other population, which I'm going to call scarcity minded, which I would consider myself one of those people that no matter how much money I had or didn't have, I still worried about it all the time. And that's kind of the that's what I'm exploring in the book throughout. Like, where are you and how might you change if you're not happy with the way that Mm -hmm. that relationship is going down? So much of how we manage our money today and how we relate to money stems from what we were taught growing up. And, And that is especially true in cultures where there isn't a lot of literacy or resources or quote unquote wealth, there's a bigger chance of you sort of like repeating that in your own life, uh, that cycle. You, however, were able to break from that because you yourself, as you mentioned, grew up in a household where, you know, your father was dealing drugs, you know, and and money was not a topic you talked about. And so personally for you, how did you break from that And this is stuff that you talked about two years ago, but I'm wondering now as you reflect more on your childhood and as you've been writing and, you know, looking at what's happening in the world and connecting some more dots, have you made any sort of new revelations about your own ability to break from that and what we can learn from that? Definitely. When I was growing up, like you said, my parents fought a lot about money. So we weren't talking about it in a healthy way. We were talking about it in a really emotionally abusive way. Um, for myself, for my mom, for my dad. And and that created a lot of stories about money. And so I think the reason I broke out of that pattern wasn't because there was education in the home or even in school, right? And I talk about this in the book, but that I just made a personal decision that I didn't want to live the same way that my parents had. But the big realization too that I want to add in that has been very healing for me over this past year as I was finishing the book was a was the understanding that growing up in the environment that I did, I carried a lot of shame because uh, there were not having money, always struggling with it. Like we would be the family on on the street in the suburbs where we always had a broken down car in the front yard, and 
you know, my parents were hippies and that was scary to other people. And I don't think I understood how deep that shame went about the way that we were labeled, even to the point where kids would say, I can't come to your house. My parents don't think it's safe. And when I'm writing this story about money and and all this stuff is coming out, I've realized that I was in many cases when I was that little girl at eight years old deciding I wanted to be a millionaire someday, it was coming from this repressed place of like, I'll show you world, I'll get that money, I'll be successful. I'm not like what, you know, people seem to label our family as being. And it worked out for a while. Like I did become a millionaire in my mid thirties. But what also happened along the way was I started to realize that, that when you're creating money from a deeply repressed, you know, a lot of pain underneath it, that also doesn't play out very well. So you became a millionaire in your thirties. Can you tell us how you did that again? (laughs) People, people may not have caught the first time you were on the show. Just do a recap. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, a couple things. First of all, I made that decision early in life. I didn't know how I would get there. Uh, But what happened was when you're tuned in, just like antenna focused in a certain direction, I'll remember in the mid 90s, after I finished my MBA, I was starting to get paid, you know, decent. And I started watching my net worth. And I started reading books like Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and The Millionaire Next Door in Your Money or Your Life. And those books fueled me to start to say, hey, you need to pay attention to this. Like if you pay attention to your net worth, this was my thinking, um, and, and you're always paying attention to it, that it will come. And so what happened was opportunities started coming and I started making choices about like one example is I worked for State Farm Insurance early in my career and there was uh, the Northridge earthquake in Los Angeles. And I volunteered much to my husband's dismay that I would go away for almost seven months. And in that time, you'd get paid disaster pay and all this other money and per diems. And I was like, I'm going to save it all. You know, I'm not going to spend anything. And I walked out of that six month experience with $30,000 in the bank. And like, those were the sorts of things that I used to do. Like, where is the opportunity? And I'm going to pursue it. And we figured out that building houses, because my husband's a contractor, we started using that money to plow into another house and a fixer upper, and then another build a house from ground zero. And we just started creating a system where I knew how to take care of the financing. And my husband would like build a house or remodel a house or take on a, a project. And it was always just building, building, building. And that's how wow. we did it. What What was that moment like when you realized, oh, our net worth is seven figures? <laughs> well, because I was paying so much attention to it, I think um, I was like, it's coming, it's coming. But there was this moment that I just will never forget as long as I live. We had bought a house in Walnut Creek and we were moving to Tahoe and we had remodeled the house in Walnut Creek and then we were moving. And so I remember that I put my daughter who was like two or three at the time in the car and we had just closed on the house sale. And I knew at some point between Walnut Creek and Lake Tahoe, which is like a four hour drive, at some point this check for $250,000 was going to be deposited into our bank account. And it was the most magical drive ever because I was like, this is happening. Like you're, you are making this happen. (laughs) And honestly, I don't think ever since then it's been as big of a deal as that drive Mm -hmm. because I said, you know what, this is possible. 
you broke from a lot of classism. You talk about, these are your terms, like the white trash stigma that you kind of grew up with, but that it's important to not forget where you came from. And so how do you reconcile that? You know, on the one hand, you're trying to move away from some of the, the issues that you grew up with and create your own life and correct some of those mistakes. But that's where I get stuck. So what is it about your past that you should be holding on to to benefit you? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think about this a lot in my coaching business and my classes because, and even in writing the book, I didn't realize when I started writing the book that I was creating a manual that would help not just me, someone who had made a lot of money, but still worried about money. But I also wanted to write a book that would have helped my parents who are no longer alive, that that people who weren't taught about money, that struggled with it, that, that like, I didn't want to lose that. And so I'm kind of shocked now because somebody would say, oh, you can only have one reader, one listener, you know, target person. But I actually accomplished this objective that it speaks to both sides because there's actually a lot of commonality. And so I don't forget where I've come from. And I do channel it into the teachings in the book because I want to help people who don't realize that, that they have a lot more power than they, than they maybe ever thought possible to create wealth mm-hmm. for themselves. And I know my parents didn't believe that was possible for them, so they didn't even try. You know, I, I just uh, wrapped a lengthy series called Black Wealth Matters on the show where I interviewed a number of Black individuals, African-American individuals who've achieved so much greatness, financial greatness, career greatness, despite a lot of um, obstacles. We know them, you know, uh, racism to name one. One of the things that I heard over and over again was that this idea, this advice that like, if I can do it, you can too. And if you just put your mind to it, you can do it, does not really apply to many people of color because what they're fighting against is so much more difficult and unique than the general population, things like systemic racism, right? So if you have facing you a client who's a black individual who's coming to you, Lisa, with like growing up without literacy, growing up without resources, beyond mindset, what else do you think you would want to inform this person on? The thing that comes to mind, and these are my clients, like I want to be clear, I mm-hmm. have worked with these folks and continue to work with these folks. And and I think that it's both, right? The teaching I'm expressing is that, like you said, there's the mindset piece. There's this, there's this permission piece that I feel like is super important. And then there's the practical piece. And even today in a class I was teaching, what I think a lot of people struggle with is they have big goals for themselves. Like they do want more. They know that, but they've never had anyone break it into really, really small parts of how to get there. And sometimes it's like microscopic, like, like today in this discussion, some of the goal setting was around money and like breaking that into parts. Like I want to be a millionaire in 20 years. What does that look like? What are the steps I can start to take today to get there? But then also sometimes before you can even start there, there are some emotional things, this deep wounding inside that tells you it's impossible or tells you that it's just not in the cards for you. And I've found that if you don't look at that, those beliefs at the same time as also taking practical steps, there's a good chance that even if you get the money, you'll self-sabotage, right? So these are the lottery winners that get lots of money and it's gone quickly or celebrities or professional ballplayers like that is true that if we've got the deep 
repressed wounding going on and you're not looking at it at all, just having the money isn't going to solve all the problems that you think it is. So I like going back and forth, like having an action plan that includes emotional health and creating incredible action Mm. plans that say, how do I get there? And breaking it into the tiniest of, of spots, like of aspects where, you know, it might be what I, one of the reasons I think I've built wealth and, and this is kind of fitting into this question is that I'm not a great saver. I'll be the first to admit that. But if you give me a project that I am going to build a house and I need like $200,000 for that, I am amazing at getting the money for that purpose. So I ask people, what's going to be your biggest motivator to actually have more money? Like, what are you going to get super excited about? Maybe it's a passion filled business. Maybe it's just, you know, flipping houses. Like, what are you going to be so excited about that that project takes over and causes you to make different choices so that that money starts showing up in your bank account? Yeah, it's getting to really at the level of where this person is at and where they came from. And I think we're going to see a bit of a shift in the personal finance space where blanketed advice is just is going to be falling on more deaf ears. That's a good thing. I think that we need to get a little bit more, a lot more granular with how we provide advice. Um, Mylique Teal came on my podcast uh, during Black Wealth Matters, the series, and she's an entrepreneur, founder of Curlbox, millionaire. But she says, you know, at this point in her life, despite having built this incredible financial life, she suffers from mixed emotions, right? One is like, feeling as though she doesn't deserve it, uh, that someone's going to take it all away from her. And and so she sees a psychotherapist in conjunction with, (laughs) you know, a financial advisor perhaps to really get her arms wrapped around her, her financial mission and, and her management. And I think that's a great pairing. It is a great pairing. And I think because, you know, I've been teaching meditation since 2003 and doing breakthrough work. And then also, you know, being a financial advisor, being a certified financial um, planner designation, like I wanted to combine these two things together. It was like it was a dream that I wasn't even sure I could bring it all together. And what ended up coming through the process of writing the book was to take everything that I was using, like the journaling questions and the procedures and the steps that people needed to go through, that they could finish the process saying, I've looked at these patterns that repeat themselves over and over again with money. I figured out a new way. I'm writing a new money story for myself. I'm looking at what the one has been in the past. I'm not ignoring it. I'm being brutally honest, but I'm also saying this is a story I want going forward. And then at the end, it's about holistic financial planning that's tied into the core values of like what's most important to you. And it's built on the things that I didn't like in the traditional way of financial planning. I felt like it left out these super important core value questions and understanding yourself and like what's most important. And so I came up with a my own idea of what financial planning could look like with this more heart-centered approach. Well, sticking with financial planning, a lot of us are re-evaluating our plans right now with everything that's been upended. People have been losing their jobs. The economy is we're officially in a recession. The stock market, I don't know why it keeps going up, but that is probably a short-lived thing. And it's not pessimism. It's just at this point being realistic. And 
personally, have you shifted your planning, so to speak, given a lot of the uncertainty that we're in right now? Many people compare this to the Great Recession, but I I think there's a lot of differences. I think this is much more serious in other ways, um, harder to recover in other ways than the Great Recession. It's far more widespread, the current recession that we're in. And then, of course, you've got the health scare. So what do you think is necessary to shift around with when it comes to financial planning right now are some of the new questions we need to be asking ourselves, at least from where you stand, what's been changing on your front? Yeah, there's a lot of change happening right now. I think that I have been managing my own money for the past 10 years. And even with what happened over the past couple months, I realized that I am not the best person to be doing that. And so I've actually been working with moving all of our assets over to an advisor who specializes in socially responsible, socially conscious investing. And it's like a completely different, not just playing the market, not just putting all the money in the stock market, which I'm not comfortable with. And we talked about that last time we met. I'm looking for alternative ways, you know, maybe businesses, business owners that can't get financing without, you know, contributions from investors. Like I want to go really creative and very, very diversified. And I'm not comfortable putting it all in the stock market. In fact, I'm just really, I've always been torn. Um, and, and so my change personally is how can I continue to, you know, I probably won't be accessing this money for almost 20 years. Like I have a long time horizon. I'm thinking about those things. I'm thinking about that. It's okay with going down, going up, you know, volatility. I know that's a part of the journey, but I also see that I want a higher consciousness applied to this money. And I don't feel like I can get that by me just managing it myself. So that's been my big switch. And I'm not sure, does that answer your question? Yeah. So what I'm hearing is that you're not, as before, maybe you were more bullish on the stock market. That's not the case right now. And so where, where are the shifts happening? Are you putting more in cash? Are you doing more in the real estate arena? Are you putting it back into your business? Where are you shifting the money around? Yeah. So it probably helps to mention that our investable assets are about 25% of our portfolio and, um, and maybe another, uh, what would that be? 60, 65% are real estate. And so what I'm doing is I am, like you said, not so bullish on the stock market, but I'm looking at diversifying into other types of investing and making sure that it reflects my core values about the environment, the companies that we're investing mm-hmm. in, those choices. So that's what I'm wanting. And I have, I'm just now beginning this process because I just talked to the advisor the other day. It's someone that I've been following for years. And, and it's just, it's like allowing my heart and my conscious you know, awareness of how I want to be a contributor. I want my money to be a contributor to the betterment of the world. And I'm willing to, even if it were to be take less of a return to have that assurance, like I'm totally in for the long haul. That's how I'm looking at it. You're an active member of the personal finance community, Lisa, and I'm sure you've been observing some of the conversations that have been happening when it comes to politics, whether or not to in you know make personal finance a political issue. Um, I'll you know be the first to admit that I don't really see, for example, race as a political issue. Racial equality is a political issue. It's a human rights 
effort and, and necessity. But some audience members and even some people within our community take issue with taking even those public stands and saying, for example, you know, that uh, it's important to support um, the NAACP or to understand that if you come from a black household, you know, there are different odds against you as when it comes to becoming financially successful in your life. And we need to recognize that. And so what do you think is the role of personal finance when it comes to supporting anti-racism and promoting all people to really achieve financial success, including the black community? And how and and I just and this is not like a right or wrong answer. I just I really just want to understand where the pulse is on this. Yeah. I I mean, yes, I totally support Black Lives Matter and I support income equality. And I feel like those go hand in hand, you know, the racial and the black tax and all of these things that I'm still becoming even more familiar with. Like I'm Mm -hmm. all in, I want to learn more about it. What I've been doing this past few weeks is understanding the intersection between what I have created in this process and how it helps people. You know, my little small take in this, in this journey is that even something like race, so I'm a white woman and, and what I have learned in the past 20 years of questioning all of my assumptions is that when we get in the habit of realizing that we don't have all the answers, that we're not like in control of the world, like we might have thought we were or whatever it is that our story is, like the more we question the assumptions, the more humble we become about the way we look at the world and what we don't know and what we need to learn. And so with money, I just have seen over and over and over again that people have been told certain stories, right? That if you're black, that this is what your life is going to look like. Or if you're poor, this is what your life is going to look like. And I feel like I want my work to be out there helping people look inside, ask themselves some hard questions and get used to that discomfort of realizing that you actually don't maybe know as much as you thought, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, I 100% agree with the fact that we all need to just listen more and learn more and not make assumptions. And yeah, I think this is going to be an important chapter in um, everybody's work, but especially within the personal finance community. And we really applaud you for all the work that you're doing, Lisa, um, sharing your wisdom with the world and being so inclusive about it. Um, congratulations on your book. What's next? What are you, what are you working on next? You're always working on something. (laughs) Always working on something. Well, I'm super excited about the book launch. This is a big deal for me. St. Martin's Press decided that this story that we've been talking about, right, is something that other people needed to know about. And I will say that liberation of kind of being in the background, even in the personal finance you know, space, I'm so excited to talk to you about this today just because having it breathe and be recognized. And I know you've had a lot of people, I listened to your podcast, um, have these beautiful discussions about the inner intersection with the outer financial world. But um, what's next? I'm thinking about another book. One topic that comes up is this concept of economic bypassing. Like why would a human being not see financial wealth as a core part of their own self-care? 
And that's something I'm still kind of researching, but it's fun to explore. And uh, because because I feel like there are a lot of people that don't understand why they haven't been able to take good care of themselves financially. And the more I can do to help them see that that there are ways to break out of those patterns, you know, sign me up. <laughs> Yeah, that's a great, great topic. And I don't think really explored very much. So looking forward to that. No doubt you'll do a great job uh, exploring that and sharing that. We'll have you back when that's complete. Is that a deal? That would be wonderful. Lisa Peterson, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks so much to Lisa for joining me. Again, check out her blog, wealthclinic.com, her podcast, Art of Abundance on iTunes, and the book is called The Mindful Millionaire. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. I hope your day is so money. Money.